Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Accelerating Texas K-12 Education. I'm your host as always, J.W. Marshall, and we are so glad that you found this episode with us today. Uh, we have not one, but two amazing guests for today's episode, and they are both with the IMCAT organization, and I'm gonna let them explain what that is. First, we have with us Jeff Funderberg. He is the president-elect of IMCAT. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, how are you doing? Doing well. And we also have with us the training committee chair, Myra Garcia. Myra, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you all so much for having us. And Jeff, before we dive in, just remind our audience, what does IMCAT stand for? IMCAT stands for Instructional Materials Coordinators Association of Texas. We can't wait to dive in and learn more about IMCAT as well as your upcoming Summer Institute. But first, um, we'll start out the way we start every episode by asking our guests, and we'll start with Jeff. Who are you and what do you love about what you do? Well, my name is Jeff Funderberg, and I love serving the kids in our district and I like the variety that my job gives me. I love it. And so not only are you the president-elect of IMCAT, but you're also serving as a, a couple of different roles in your district. Can you talk a little bit about your background? Certainly. I work for Birdville Independent School District near Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, we're a district of about 25,000 students. Uh, I've got 33 campuses that I deal with every day and uh, deal with the instructional materials delivery and procurement. And also I can keep up with records and fixed assets in our district. Awesome. All right. And then same question, Myra, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Hi, good morning. My name is Myra Garcia. And um, as you mentioned, uh, serve on the board um, for the training committee, as well as uh, work for McAllen ISD. And my title is Coordinator for Instructional Materials and Print Shop. Um, so a lot of what we do is, is just what Jeff mentioned, uh, minus the fixed assets part. <laughs> I used to do that, but not anymore. Um, so yes, what, what do I love about my job? Uh, we are in the business of teaching and learning and being able to facilitate the process to have what teachers need to teach and what students need to learn is basically exactly what Jeff said, you know, serving the communities that we work in, but also serving those individuals who um, do the exact same roles that we do within the community organization of IMCAT. So, you know, just being a servant leader, being able to pass on knowledge to those and IMCAT, but also serving within our communities and just helping in that business of teaching and learning. And Myra, a question for you. Um, is this organization just for public schools? Is it just for big districts? Who uh, is IMCAT for? Yeah, so we, uh, as IMCAT, we serve anybody who's in the instructional materials role, whether it be um, whether it be instructional materials, whether it be warehouse, anybody who's in that role, whether you're in a public school, in a large district, in a small district, um, we're definitely here to help to help the process, large districts, small school districts, uh, public schools, private schools, charter schools, everybody in between that serves on that role or function, we're definitely here to help facilitate the process as an instructional materials coordinator. I love it. And we'll dive right in. For those in the audience that are not familiar, who is IMCAT um, and what can they do for those in related roles? And we'll start with you, Jeff. IMCAT is a group of individuals that were textbook coordinators back in 1991, 
And they began an organization with P.D. Thomas and Russell Owens. They founded IMCAT at that time to help other people that were doing the same job. Uh, there was a lot of inconsistencies. There were lots of issues and people didn't know what to do. So they decided to help each other, which brought in another group of people and they formed their first little cluster of people. And it's grown to over 600 members. And we have 20 regions in the state of which we're, we have at least a representative from just nearly every one of them. And we just, that's what we do is we just help each other navigate the EMAT and state regulations and keep ourselves, our districts in compliance with law. And same question to you, Myra. Um, I would say who we are just on what we do as an organization and our function is for sure helping other individuals who um, are in the same role as we are. Uh, we talk about it all the time, you know, do not reinvent the wheel. Um, find somebody who has some type of knowledge that you can tweak or apply to your school district. And it's very helpful for, you know, it's very helpful for our members, um, whether they're new to the organization or whether they're veterans, you know, we always try to keep them abreast of updates, what's going on, uh, changes within legislation, changes within our role. Um, there's a lot of law that we have to be familiar with. so just helping each other out move forward and, and navigate this role um, a lot of us do wear many hats uh, so it's very helpful um, to kind of have a common ground and a common understanding of how to navigate through this role that's wonderful it sounds like there's a lot of uh, support and it sounds like things uh, are ever evolving uh, in your roles um, talk just a little bit about um, how quickly things do change is this something that um, is on an annual basis or even sometimes within the year changes that your members really need to know about and how to navigate because even if you've been doing this a long time and, and something changes, you really need to make sure that you're you're getting that correct information and following the processes um, the way that the state is asking. I would have to say that it changes every single year. Uh, during a legislative session, uh, it might change more than once. There, it, there's lots of updates that come out of Austin, and sometimes they come out slow. Sometimes they come out rapidly. It just depends on on what's going on. Okay, so this is a, a complex job and oftentimes not a singular job for a person that they're going to wear many hats. Um, talk to us about uh, those new IMA coordinators and um, what would be the benefit for them uh, to get involved and how easy is it? Um, to to start to learn from the organization and kind of uh, are they drinking from the fire hose from day one or is there a process to help them uh, kind of uh, ease into this transition? So that's the biggest purpose for our summer institute. We try to help out um, our new coordinators. Uh, we do know there's usually a turnover from the end of one school year to the beginning of the next school year. And as instructional materials coordinator, our busiest times of the years are summer, um, just because you're trying to get all instructional materials ready and out and delivered to campuses by first day of school. Um, our job is really behind the scenes, um, but if it's not done, then there's a lot of chaos and confusion at the schools because teachers and students don't have have what they need for teaching and learning. So, um, you know, it's it's really uh, Summer Institute, our, our big focus on Summer Institute is training those new coordinators and providing updates 
to those coordinators who have been with us for a while. Um, they're not drinking from the fire hose, like you just said. Uh, we try to facilitate the process with them of, hey, you're brand new to this role. These are really critical components that you need to know about your job. This is how you get your funding. This is um, what you really need to be paying attention to uh, in the summer months. This is how you um, re request requisitions for new products. Uh, this is how you do your disbursements, just really facilitating the process for our new uh, coordinators on how to get that ball rolling. Because like I said, summer is really busy. Um, if you had somebody previously that had great system and processes in place, that's phenomenal because you walk into a really good start, but not all districts have that. And as I mentioned before, a lot of times as coordinators, we, we wear a bunch of different hats. So some things can fall between the cracks, between those transitions. Um, so it's really important just to kind of help our new coordinators hold them by the hand and, and facilitate that process of what's really important during the summer. So uh, we, you know, as we mentioned, earlier, we try to be an organization who is big on support and just helping other people. We have some amazing people on the board who have served this organization for years and have a wealth of knowledge. And, and everybody, since my participation on the board, everybody's been so willing and giving to just support other people. So as I mentioned earlier, we're a group of individuals who are servant leaders and just love helping other people because we all know what it was like to be a first year coordinator. So just, just helping them along the process. And as I mentioned, as, as the training committee chair, that's our focus for Summer Institute. Um, you know, the most important critical components to get your year started and, and move forward. I love it. And so if you are uh, someone listening out there that has some of these responsibilities or all these responsibilities, and you're not a member, certainly uh, get your district to uh, get you involved. And a great way to do that would be the Summer Institute. Jeff, uh, to you, the Summer Institute isn't just for uh, new members. It is for everyone. Give the audience a, a sense of what are they going to learn um, and how this Summer Institute may be different than uh, Summer Institutes in the past. This year's Summer Institute is gonna include an update from our lobbyist, Colby Nichols, uh, that's gonna help us understand more of the changes that are coming this next legislative session. Um, we're also gonna be talking about the new EMAP procedures. Uh, there are a couple of things that are different. Uh, I think most of these updates from EMAP were back in October, if I remember right, but they changed up some of the things that you have to do in order to order books, and we're gonna be covering those in full. And it's just going to be a, it's going to be virtual, so it'll be a good chance for people to meet and get connected. And, and a quick follow up question to, to you on that note, Jeff, this uh, summer institute is going to be 100 percent virtual. That's probably something that uh, transitioned during the pandemic, but you're, you're sticking with it. Um, talk to us about the accessibility of uh, the virtual conference versus the in-person conference at the end of the year. Uh, the virtual conference for the summer. Uh, it allows us to have more people involved without any travel. Um, we did this during COVID. We also did a full conference in COVID that year uh, for the winter conference. And that worked out pretty well. We sure did miss hanging out with each other. The networking in person is a real big component. And when you're missing it, you realize what you're missing. Um, so this gives us an opportunity at Summer Institute to have more people involved than can probably make it physically during the summertime 
and allows them to have some leeway in their timing because they don't have to leave their work, leave their job because we are busy during the summer and uh, not as, we're not so much in the fall when we can all get together at conference. Great, and I wanna ask Myra a question about not only the digital transition of conferences and accessibility, but also uh, talk a little bit about um, how long you've been involved with IMCAT and what changes have you seen evolve with just the instructional materials allotments of uh, traditionally textbooks to now including um, digital materials and, and how has the landscape changed uh, as far as your role um, over let's say the last five to 10 years? Yeah, so there's been, this one definitely was blessed by fire. You know, the, the pandemic was ready, set, go, you know, and we were off to the races. Um, I have been involved with IMCAT uh, as a member since 2016 and in my role as a coordinator at my school district since 2016. So as soon as I became a coordinator for instructional materials, I got involved with IMCAT. I've been serving on the board. These years get really confusing to me, like COVID years, were we in person? Did I get voted in in person? Not so on and so forth. So I wanna say I've been serving on the board since December, 2019, which was the last time we met in person prior to COVID. Um, and, and as I mentioned right now, like what has changed within our organization, within IMCAT? Um, one definitely uh, as part of the training committee is the model which we are able to share information and professional development with our coordinators. Um, as Jeff mentioned, you know, we have gone virtual. We did do a full conference virtual. And that definitely was to still um, be servant leaders, to still help people out in our role um, even though we had restrictions and so on and so forth with the pandemic, it still allowed our organization to help serve those leaders who had that transition. And uh, how has that changed within my job? Um, like I said, from 2016 until now, the access that we have connected for teachers and students digitally I mean, literally went from zero to 100. You either had something in place when the pandemic hit with digital access. Um, for my school district, you know, that's a benefit that we had. We're a one-to-one -one school district on, on digital devices. So digital access to instructional materials was huge for us. So when we were hit with the pandemic, it was a go. Um, I had a handful of classes that did not have digital licenses. So we just had to catch up with that. For our school district, we had um, summer, uh, excuse me, spring break was supposed to be our break off. But with everything changing in the world, we literally worked through spring break to make sure that we were a go on instructional materials for teachers and students as we transition with everything going uh, virtual. So um, for those school districts that didn't have the support, you know, IMCAT helped with, with that. Uh, IMCAT members were able to leverage uh, other individuals and just kind of ask questions on how do, how do we hit the ground running um, with something of this nature, you know, so just providing a lot of that support to our members of, uh, you know, okay, you, you don't have a lot of digital stuff in place, so this is where you go. Um, so I know that first year, uh, March 2020 to 
May 2020, you know, a lot of school districts had to reevaluate their systems and processes and see where the need was. And then it was a very busy summer for coordinators who didn't have um, a lot of digital licenses and digital access. Uh, that's a whole boatload of information that we 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 touched lightly during Summer Institute, but if you attend conference in the fall, we have several sessions just on the, the background of digital access and, uh, you know, data extracts and student teacher rostering and, and all the fun stuff that comes with that. But at the end of the day, like I mentioned earlier, we are in the business of teaching and learning. And so to be able to set up systems and practices in place where teachers and students just have to click a button and all their instructional materials are in one place is what makes our job fulfilling and well worth it. And it's uh, so much uh, work to get that easy button to work, right? But under Absolutely. the scenes, there's so much that you guys do. I really I often say the, the IMA uh, coordinators are the unsung heroes that really Absolutely. make all of this uh, work, the IT departments as well, but really the IMA coordinators um, make it seamless and easy when, when they do their jobs well. Um, yeah. Jeff, same question to you. You've been involved a little bit longer since 2014. Uh, talk about the evolution and also uh, talk about uh, the success you've had because of the community of uh, the IMCAT organization. Well, when I first uh, took this position back in February of 2014, I knew absolutely nothing about textbooks except that I had used them when I was in school. <laughs> but I had a lot of warehouse experience, but I knew nothing about the rules and regulations and other procedures. And my purchasing director at the time uh, introduced me to members of IMCAT and told me she wanted me to become a member of that organization. They can get me started and get me hitting the ground running. And between that and another group, the, the North Texas group, which is NTTCA, I was able to get on the ground running in the middle of the summer of a big math adoption. Uh, so that if it hadn't have been for them, I think I would have fallen completely on my face and not been able to deliver by day one of school. But we had science, oh, it was science that year. And we had, it was, uh, it's, it's a, I can show you, I could show you the videos and the pictures from it. it. It would do a better job than anything I could say. We had a lot of materials in the warehouse. So I got used to it. And as it's changed over the years, what I have seen is that we have gone from a lot of books going into the schools to class sets of books going into the school, coupled with licenses for everybody, which changes the relationship between the court textbook coordinator and other members in the in the schools. We have a technology department that is just bombarded with student licenses from various other groups in our department, in our school district every year. They do an amazing job of making sure that all of our kids stay connected and connected to a device. So, uh, it, but it, it's changed, it's, it's swiveling from primarily books to primarily digital. I think it's just going to take a while. We're doing a lot of consumables. So can't wait for the next round to see what kind of new evolution process takes over. Yeah, and that's a great point, Jeff, that uh, things have, textbook coordinators aren't just handling textbooks anymore. And I think that's uh, a big reason why you made the change to, to IMA coordinators, because it is not just textbooks, it's all instructional materials. Um, talk to us a little bit more on that point about um, how the role has changed as far as uh, support, because uh, in the past, working with maybe the the 
publishers that everyone has known and loved for so many decades, uh, your role probably was more warehousing and making sure that the books got to the school. Now with the digital delivery, uh, there is, uh, it's more complexity. Um, and so uh, at what point do you um, hand off to the IT department? At what point are you uh, kind of involved a little bit in the IT of making sure that the the login numbers match and, and everything is correct. Is there a, a blurry line there that is still kind of uh, working itself out uh, probably over the next several years? There are some blurred lines when it comes to the electronic portion. My job is basically the co our coordinators at teaching and learning send me what they wish to purchase. I go through and I get the quotes. I get with the vendors and then I bring our technology team in. We usually have a big meeting and we include them and they get to ask their technical questions as to what kind of licensing is it what what op, you know is it work with ClassLink? is all these different the components that we utilize and so they get involved right away at some point i have to let go and let them take over after i get to doing the summer part but at the end of the summer when school begins i still have to follow up on licenses i'll have calls saying and my licenses aren't working so i have to bridge the gap between technology and the publisher so it's it's a never ending. It's it's continuous, and I love it. And a similar question uh, to Myra: um, Are there any misconceptions about what uh, instructional material coordinators do? Um, especially, um, you're sometimes uh, certified teachers, but oftentimes not necessarily a certified educator. But in this uh, role, sometimes you need to present information on curriculum or on content. And um, you know, you may or may not be uh, conf conf confident in that. Uh, talk about that side of the um, the, the role, as far as um, at what point are you involved or not involved in the content piece? Yeah, definitely. So um, every school district has a different organizational structure on what they require their instructional materials coordinator qualifications to be and what their background to be. Um, I know at my school district, uh, they do require you to have teaching experience. They do require you to have a principal certification. Um, so a lot of what I do is what Jeff mentioned, you know, we're bridging the gaps. We're bridging the gaps and collaborating amongst a bunch of different departments. Um, and our end goal in mind, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and collaborating with our curriculum and instruction department, collaborating with our technology department, collaborating with our operations department on the delivery side, is, is what I mentioned earlier. You know, our biggest goal is make sure that all teachers and students have what they need in their hands prior to first day of school, and ensuring that we have uh, that we facilitate the process to ensure teaching and learning happens. So um, as for myself on the content side, um, I am a former content coordinator. So the content part for me um, is very easy to speak to just because of my background. Um, for a coordinator that's not too familiar on, on the content side, um, I just say, you know, relationships are really important. Uh, you know, having those relationships with your content coordinators helps you facilitate the process a lot better. Um, a lot of what we do, especially as, as uh, instructional materials coordinators is, okay, this is the product that you all chose. Um, a lot of the times we go through an adoption process. So there's a lot of policies and procedures that go with making sure that's fair and um, beneficial to, to teachers and students. Um, but it, it's just helping out along the process, um, you know, 
as I said, the, the content part for me is easy, but for those that don't have that experience, it's just maintaining those relationships with your content coordinators. This is the product that you chose. This is how it, it uh, lines up with your teeks. Um, this is how it lines up with your instructional year at a glance. Um, and just facilitating that process. Like I said, relationships in this role are huge because there's so many moving pieces. There's so many people needed to execute the big idea behind making sure teachers and students have not only physical books, but also digital and making sure devices are working and the licenses are connecting. So yeah, you know, uh, on the content side, it's easy. Um, as, as Jeff mentioned, once school starts, um, we're also on the support side. Uh, when, when things are not working, a specific student, I, I'm the person that they go to. And I work in a school district just like Jeff, about 22,000 students. Um, and it's, it's just me as the coordinator. So a lot of it is, is digging into data. A lot of it is uh, finding where where the break happens. Is it something that's not right in our student information system? Is it something that's going on with the learning management system? Is it something on the publisher and on the software side? So a lot of what we do is support connecting the dots and, and helping out everybody to have what they need. I mean, what do you not do? I said earlier, you're the unsung <laughs> heroes. You work with IT, you work with curriculum, you work with the warehouse, you support campuses, and you're also detectives. Um, is there anything I'm missing? Uh, yeah, yeah, you definitely are. The, the accounting side and finance. Um, because, you know, we have to be very familiar with uh, disbursements and we have to be very familiar with with keeping count of your ledgers and depending if you do a disbursement to your school district or you're directly ordering from EMAT, then that's another process because they deposit into your district's bank account. And now you got to talk to the accounting and finance people and all your documentation has to match. So, yeah, you, we do wear a lot of hats, um, but at the end of the day, like I mentioned, you, you know, we are in the business of teaching and learning and ensuring that our teachers and students have what they need um, for their successes is our goal. And, and Jeff, I'll give you the final question. Uh, just as every district has different uh, organization and procedures, every IMA coordinator has different strengths um, and, and areas that they need help in. Uh, one more time, just talk about, you know, the importance of being a member of IMCAP, because it sounds like uh, even the seasoned veteran is going to benefit because there's going to be some area that they're uh, more or less proficient in, uh, as well as the ever-evolving state uh, changes. Um, just talk one more time about the support that members receive and the collaboration and the way that I love the way that you, I think of both, but it bridge those gaps because inevitably in all the different facets of this role and uh, all the different uh, strengths that uh, someone has, there's going to be gaps. And, and this is a critical organization to keep the schools running um, seamlessly uh, to the, to the uh, stakeholders that are involved. It is, and we all do bring our own strengths to the table. Uh, weaknesses, they'll just show up uh, over time, but the things that, we're, that we are weakest in, we have plenty of people on our, in our organization that can help with that. If you don't know how to get in touch with the right people for accounting, they, we can help get you set up with the right people, because sometimes you're dealing with federal people, and that's a whole different ballgame. And we just... We just try to help each other out. Uh, if you don't know something, we can get you an answer. Uh, 
that's that's really that's that's our whole basis. All right. We always love to end uh, our um, episodes on a half glass full, a high note, uh, positive for the future. Talk to us, uh, each of you, about um, what, what are you most proud of? Uh, what is your biggest success? Uh, how I'm, IMCAT helped you or something you've given back to IMCAT in your leadership roles um, that uh, can maybe provide a little uh, inspiration to the audience? Um, as, a, as a member, when I first started, um, how did IMCAT help me? Uh, it kind of gave me peace of mind that I was headed in the right direction. <laughs> to be blessed by fire, as we mentioned earlier, um, I started in my role in August. Uh, and August is, is a good time to start because the summer disbursement already happened. But I walked into an August with one year left and $75,000 left on my budget on a biennium for the year two. So what I have to make, I have to make ends meet with $75,000 for an entire year, year two of this biennium. So, um, you know, working with this organization has given me peace of mind as a beginner that I was headed in the right direction and also learning who my team, my team is at my school district, where I can leverage funds from, how I can execute and make things happen. Um, that's really, uh, what really helped me um, from the get-go. Like I, I mentioned to you, as, as we discussed um, prior to the recording is, we also have a mentoring program and that really helped me out in my first year uh, to be paired with a seasoned, uh, con with a seasoned um, instructional materials coordinator um, that helped facilitate that process for my first year. You know, what, what is the checklist? Where do I need to dot my I's and cross my T's and make sure my first summer goes well? So that's really how the organization has helped me when I first started as a member. Now, what has helped me or in my leadership role, um, something that I bring to the table is I like to give back to people and make the systems and processes that I've created along these six years and that have worked for me, I like showing people these ideas. Like, this is what I have done. This is what works for me. And this is why I do this this way. And here is my form. Like, you don't have to go reinvent it entirely. Like, I during conference or uh, particularly in, in the December conference, I always share like a Google folder with everything that I show them. And, and tons of times, you know, I get people messaging me after conference, like, oh my gosh, this form is so good. I was able to take it and, and make it my own. And that's definitely what we're here for. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we have a ton of people on this board who have a wealth of knowledge. Like every time I'm in the room with these people, I'm like, I never thought of that. Like, oh my gosh, th that makes so much sense. And to be able to bring back that information to my school district and make it fit uh, for my needs is definitely what we're here for and, and just helping each other out as we continually continue to say we're just here. We're here to help and facilitate the process uh, with other people in our role. I love it. And Jeff, same question. In 2014, when I first met some people at IMCAT, I was told, you're not alone. We'll help you. And then they did. And my greatest success to date is being able to stand here and say, Y'all aren't alone. We can help you. And Myra, if someone is listening to this and they say, yes, I want to join the Summer Institute, do they need to become a member first or do they become a member um, upon joining the registering for the Summer Institute? 
So that's a great question. So if uh, we have somebody who currently is not a member and they do sign up for Summer Institute, they automatically become a member um, through the end of the school year. So not only do they have access to Summer Institute this year and then a discounted rate for our December conference, but they also have access to archive training and information. So one and the same, if they do sign up for Summer Institute, they do become a member through the end of the year. I love it. And so we'll end on this, Jeff. Could you just give us the details on how can someone learn more about IMCAT and how can someone get registered for the Summer Institute? Uh, you can just simply go to imcat.org. That's www.imcat.org and follow the links on the site. They're very easy to navigate to get to uh, and you shouldn't have any problems with it. And if you do, there's always an email to, to send off to and we'll respond rapidly. Perfect. We're very anxious uh, to have, we're very looking forward to everyone that wants to attend. Absolutely. So if you're out there and you have these responsibilities and you're not a member and you're not signed up for the Summer Institute, uh, you're going to benefit greatly. So please uh, follow the links in the show notes here and, and get signed up or reach out to uh, Jeff or Myra if you have any questions. Uh, Jeff and Myra, thank you so much for your time today, for really diving into who is IMCAT and uh, the supports that you provide. Uh, I learned a lot and it really is impressive. All of the roles that you assume, uh, many of you, not even your full-time job, um, and I don't see how you could do it without IMCAT. So thank you for uh, all the leadership you provide to um, everyone um, that helps uh, make these processes uh, look uh, easy and uh, seamless on the uh, on the surface. Um, it's a lot of hard work that you guys put in. So thank you both. And of course, thank you to our audience for joining another episode of Accelerating Texas K-12 Education. Uh, be sure to check out past episodes on our website or wherever you consume your podcasts and join us next week. Thank you again. And always, always keep learning. <laughs>